Coming up today on the Lockdown Hornets podcast, we have our weekly visit with Rick Bennell from the Charlotte Observer to discuss the Ian Begley trade report that could have taken place between the Hornets and the Knicks earlier this season. He also gives us a taste of this week's edition of Hidden Hornets history and this. Walker has no idea how that feels. Uh, by the what? Way. What is that? I have no clue. <laughs> That's me on this show all the time. You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. It's Locked On Hornets, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day, local experts on the number one daily sports podcast network. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. And you can follow us on Twitter at Walker Mail, at Doug Branson, LOH, at Locked On Hornets is our show handle. And you can follow our guest, Rick Bennell, on Twitter at Rick underscore Bennell. We always re- welcome Rick from the Charlotte Observer here on Tuesdays. Nothing has changed even in the times of the pandemic. Rick, thank you so much for joining us once again. How are you? I'm fine. I'm I'm actually quite busy. I've been helping out our news site operation on a weekly basis. I was going to say, how is that for you? I mean, do you enjoy working on the news side of things or um, is it much different at all than reporting on sports? What are the differences and similarities? Um. The rhythm is different. The workflow is different. Um, it's important work right now. They need, you know, there, there are so many things to cover. I am on a team of reporters that are dealing with things like utility. Um, you know, what you can do in this situation. Um, I've done some really interesting stories. I did one, I interviewed the, um, the county park and rec director the other day about how over the weekend when the weather got nice, people, you know, people practicing social distancing so many people it just went out the out the door and in a in a way that so worries um the county health director that we may see drastic steps um you know like limited really limiting access to the parks if people don't start self-policing and i think that's a an incredible shame because most of what they're asking people to do it's not unreasonable and it's just common sense yeah, I know, Rick, that, you know, part of the journalism code is that you kind of leave your try to leave your personal feelings uh, aside. But I know you're a big fan of the Greenway. Does it upset you that people may be abusing this to the point where no one will have access to those kind of resources? You know, I think it's very incidental to the, the venue. Um, I have not noticed and I'm out on that Greenway every day, Four Mile Creek, Um I find people to be tremendously, you know, um, respectful of each other's distance in this situation there. I think where they're having problems is things like, you know, big parks like Freedom Park, where people don't really understand that, you know, volleyball isn't okay. Kickball isn't okay. The the tennis courts are not supposed to be used. It's it's sharing um, equipment. Anything like that is is forbidden and it's people congregating um, in ways that just lack common sense. So, I mean, in all honesty, um, I think it changes from situation to situation. I I know that Langston Wirtz helped me with that story and Langston talked to a bunch of of people involved in the boating community 
And, you know, it, people just, you know, they think they're on the, they think once they're on the lake that the rules don't apply. And that's really a bad deal. It's converted newsman, Rick Bennell joining us here on the Locked On Hornets podcast. And Rick, just going back to the NBA and discussing the pandemic, the coronavirus pandemic and its effects on the association. I, I've been interested in getting the different takes, whether it be from Stan Van Gundy or even just Cody Zeller as a player in all of this, how each of these players are going to look after this period of isolation that seems to continue even further along than even recently um, or even previously reported, I should say, how do you expect these players to look coming in and playing an NBA game after being isolated for so long? Uh, you know, Walker, people don't, there are people who always get their back up when I, when, the, when this is said to them, but I, it's absolutely true. There is no way to replicate game shape. You know, people will say, oh, they're getting paid all these millions of dollars. They ought to be able to keep in shape. It's not the same. And it's really not the same when you tell players that they cannot um, work out together. You know, if you can't play five on five up and down the court, there's no way to, to replicate five on five up and down the court, much less, you know, game speed. Um, I am... I think players, you know, as, as I mentioned, and I think this is the right thing for the NBA to do, the NBA was very proactive in telling people, we are closing down our facilities and we don't want to see, you know, see you in, in gyms. We don't want to see you on campuses. We don't want to see you doing things. Now, I'm sure that the strength and conditioning coaches around the league are doing a, fa a great job of doing things by video and, you know, and, and giving, you know, players best practices as far as trying to stay in shape. But believe me, <laughs> this thing's going to drag on for multiple months. There is no way in the world when people come back in that they're going to be, this is not just going to pick it up like they missed a week of all-star break. And if I were the NBA, what I would be very worried about, and I've already spoken to a couple of friends, you know, who, who are, who work for other teams, um, soft tissue injuries. If they just, if they pick up during the playoffs and you're talking about games with so much at stake, I think you're going to see, some, you know, a, a lot of real danger about things like, you know, hamstring pulls. And, you know, I certainly hope we don't see Achilles injuries, things that when people just aren't using, used to using their bodies in that way, it's going to be an issue. Soft tissue and soft bellies. Um, I don't know about y'all, but um, I am not <laughs> eating clean. <laughs> oh my! I just, I just downed. I pretty much have just reached the point of quarantine where I poured the oversized bag of chips directly in my mouth. That's where I am in my level of quarantine. Um, I imagine a lot of the NBA players are going to be doing the same, including the NBA draft prospects. And not only do the players already in the association have to alter their workout programs, uh, Rick, but when you look at how this affects how NBA teams are going to be able to prep for the NBA draft. How much different is it going to be for them in times like these than previous years? I think you're going to find out how well organized people are because um, suddenly there's no catch-up opportunity. They lost the conference tournaments. They're, um, for the most part, they, they lost the NCAA tournament. Um, we don't know if there's going to be a combine. My guess is no. We don't know if, if players will be allowed to travel to um around the country for individual workouts i always think frankly and i think i've said to you, this to you guys before um individual workouts with teams are exaggerated in their importance because it's the only thing that is relatively public so it's but 
I think fans pay more attention to them than, than really matter. But, you know, this is going to be hard because it's going to be different. But I'll tell you guys, I think it, I think the stakeholder that, that is going to be most con, uh, of most concern is going to be underclassmen who have to make a decision about whether or not to keep their names in the draft because they're not going to have nearly the kind of uh, of – of feedback that they've had the last couple of years, you know, like, like somebody like Dotson from Charlotte, the Kansas point guard, he, he had such an organized and, and I think really wise process about whether or not to stay in last year's draft. And he ultimately went back to Lawrence. I think that guys are going to have a difficult time making informed decisions this time around. Rick, I want to ask you about a report we saw yet. Ian Begley reported that the New York Knicks did have internal support, at least, to trade Julius Randle, Dennis Smith Jr., and a future first-round pick in exchange for Terry Rozier and Malik Monk. What were some of your initial thoughts after seeing that report? Um, you know, when I when I retweeted um, what Ian um, mentioned, I you know, and I know Twitter is is people you know reacting in a very emotional gut way, and, the, and people are all cooped up with nothing to do right now. There was a whole lot of why didn't the Hornets do that? Well, we don't know all the details of this, and you know, whenever I hear you know a a mention of you know and a first round pick without any specifics, you know, there's a believe me, guys, there's a ton of difference between the eighth and the twenty ninth pick in the NBA draft. And I think people sometimes don't really keep that in perspective. You don't know whether that would have been the Knicks' own pick. You don't know whether that would have been a pick they had inquired from somebody else like Dallas. You don't know if that pick was way down the road. You don't know what kind of protections might have been on that pick. You know, I I always think back, you know, every once in a while, Mitch Kupchak says something that is really, really candid to the point of bluntness. Thought it was interesting when I asked him, "Do you, re- uh, you know, back in September, do you regret not having traded Kemba?" Um, and he mentioned that at the trade deadline, you know, the best that anybody would have offered was something that was heavily protected. He said he said that he didn't think that there was merit in the idea of giving up on the idea of re-signing Kemba in return for a pick that might have been in the twenties. And if you put it in that context. I think his reasoning has merit. Rick, I want to ask you one more question before we go to uh, the Hidden Hornets history. I know we were texting about Malik Monk, who was mentioned in this deal. And you asked the question, if Cupcheck could void Monk's guarantee for next season, would it happen? And I think one of the unintended wrinkles of the pandemic is the fact that, you know, just here in Charlotte Hornets land, we don't exactly have any clarity on Malik Monk and we aren't going to get it for quite a while because the NBA season was suspended. I, what what do you think Mitch Kupchak would do? You know, at, at least how do you view Malik Monk in your eyes right now, given the suspension that he had um, because of the violation of the anti-drug program? Ultimately, I think that um, um, rookie scale, um, um, ro- you know, r- rookie scale um, um, options are usually affordable enough. They're not always, but, but, you know, the vast majority of, of rookie scale options, teams exercise them. And the Hornets did that back in September. It was their window to do it. And ultimately I don't think it's a big deal one way or the other. Having said that, you know, you, you gotta wonder um, in this kind of a situation in the short run next season, 
um, you know, the Hornets have have made a, a large financial commitment to Malik. Um, without us knowing, you know, where things go from here, the simplest thing that comes to mind with me about Malik is, boy, is the pressure on him last season, not just to give the Hornets, but the league at large, at re- a reason to believe in him. Because that second NBA contract is by far now when players make the most money. We have plenty more Rick Bennell coming up in just a moment to discuss the Hidden Hornets history after hearing about Alonzo Mourning and his exit from the Charlotte Hornets last week. We will talk a little bit more about something um, and maybe acquiring a player back in the day. But first, I want to talk to you about our sponsors. We've got some really wonderful sponsors on this show, but none more than Queen City Beauty Group because they are local and we have to support our local businesses in any way we can right now. We've told you over the weeks how amazing they are. Nichelle Mosley is an award-winning esthetician. They do custom skin treatments. They have an acne clinic. It's like no other spa in Charlotte. They are rolling out a virtual consultation for remote clients and we'll be telling you more about that soon if you're interested. If you can't play if you can't pay them a visit this week, consider an e-gift card to use later. For the month of March, Queen City Beauty Group is offering e-gift cards for 30% off and that's redeemable for future services. So gift cards are available in custom amounts from $35 all the way up to $1000 and that's all at a 30% savings. To take advantage of this special, go to www.queencitybeautygroup.com click shop at the top of the page and e-gift cards on the top of the next page. Remember, in times like these, small businesses need your support more than ever. Queen City Beauty Group appreciates your support and your support of the Locked On Podcast Network. Queen City Beauty Group, skin care for all. We'll have Rick Bennell coming up in just a moment on the Locked On Hornets podcast. This is Locked On Hornets. Have you fallen out of love with uh, Lonnie Walker yet, or are you still in love with him? I think there's still a chance. Yeah, I think there's still a chance. I think he's playing pretty well right now. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Last week, we got a tasty story of Alonzo Mourning and some of the stories surrounding him leaving the Charlotte Hornets. This week, Rick, you wanted to talk to us about exactly all of the events that led to the signing of one Lance Stevenson. Lance Stevenson era here in Charlotte. Rick, what do you have for uh, for us here today in Hidden Hornets history? You know, it was just so complicated back then. Um, the, the Hornets felt like they had a really burning need for a secondary ball mover. Um, if you remember at the time, they were kind of using um, Josh McRoberts as that guy out of the four position. Um, they really felt like they need needed better ball movement. You know, Kemba, Kemba is a point guard. He will always be a point guard. But at the end of the day, more than anything else, he's a scoring point guard. Um, to get the best out of Kemba, you needed somebody else to take some facilitating pressure off of him. That summer, they looked at their team, and um, Rich, chose, um, Rich chose best idea was Gordon Hayward which as far as evaluation of fixing a problem would have made perfect sense. The problem was when they brought him in for that visit, when he was a restricted free agent, um, they put an awful lot of time and effort into that. They sold him on, on being a Hornet um, and he signed the offer sheet. But at the end of the day, I know this from my friends who cover the jazz, the jazz were never under any circumstances, not going to match that offer sheet. Um, quite frankly, they, you know, the Jazz were just rolling their eyes to think that the Hornets were going to make them blink. 
that cost the horn tied up the hornets uh, cap room uh, cost them precious time in the interim josh mcroberts um committed to leaving uh, the hornets to go to the heat things got really weird as the days dragged on um by then summer league had started i was at um I was at Adam Silver's annual summer league press conference. Um, and I got this text out of the blue from somebody who said, you better find out what's going on at Aria right now. Now, what I knew about Aria, the hotel casino um, in Las Vegas was that is the Hornets base of operations. And it, that's because Michael Jordan has a long history of, of, of with, with Aria as far as, um, his charity golf tournament I texted back to the person and said, would you please not be so obtuse? And he <laughs> said, you better find out why Rich Cho is, is, and is having a meeting with Lance Stevenson and his agent in the, in, in the restaurant in Aria right now. <laughs> Rick, is it appropriate to say that Rich Cho and the Hornets were in scramble mode when the jazz matched that offer sheet extended to Gordon Hayward? I think scramble mode is a fair word to use. Yeah. Um, I think that they were trying to salvage something. There was a lot of pressure being, being applied by, by um, um, Steve Clifford, as far as them needing to do something. And there were huge misgivings inside the organization about, about signing Lance. And, and ultimately they took the leap of faith. I don't think it's something that Rich Cho was particularly excited about, by then, Lance's market had dried up to the point that they got a contract that wasn't, you know, so, you know, so onerous on the Hornets. But, you know, believe me, this was the definition of a of a shotgun marriage. <laughs> um, you know, Lance needed a, a, a chair when the music stopped and the Hornets needed to do something with that free agent money. Um, it was, you know, I, I appreciate the fact that, you know, the that Lance was coming off a good season and was perceived as having a, a wide skill set. But right then and there, I remember thinking there, there aren't often, there isn't an often when I hear them do something that I just think, Oh my God, this is an awful idea. And I thought, Oh my God, this is going to be awful. And exactly what it was. The, the, whatever that spider sense in the back of my brain, when I said, shake yields Alexander is going to be a hell of an NBA player. I had a comparable one that the land Stevenson marriage was going to end quickly and ugly. And it did. <laughs> so, so you mentioned you, you, how rich Cho felt about it, how the organization, uh, the front office felt about it, how you felt about it. What about the coaching staff? I mean, what was the impression of Lance prior to the season after the deal was made by the coaching staff? What did they think they could do with them? And then what ultimately went wrong? Cliff was a strong advocate for doing this. He felt like he, um, could could uh, could oversee Lance and boy they had they had some back and forth um, gentlemen um, Lance's idea of shot selection sometimes were was just insane um, <laughs> it was like you know that notion of a symphony and you wonder if if what you know one musician is playing from a completely different sheet of music um, Walker it, has no idea how that feels. Uh, by the what? Way. What is that? I have no clue. <laughs> That's me on this show all the time. You know, by the way, Doug, it was not entirely unlike how difficult it was to integrate Dwight Howard into the situation. You know, 
people will say to me, you know, after the fact, oh, God, why, you know, why did you think the Dwight Howard experiment was so bad? Look at his numbers. Well, if you look at his points per post up, it was hideous because he was constantly committing, uh, you know, offensive fouls. He was constantly turning the ball over. He wasn't passing out to open shooters. I mean, and, and Lance was just, Lance was just a hot mess. I, I, I don't know the specifics, but, you know, there was that stat at the time that of players who had taken at least 100, 100 three-point shots in an NBA season, I think he had the worst field goal percentage from three in NBA history. That was It was just, it was hideous. And, you know, he, he didn't work with the starters. They tried to make him a, a sixth man. That was a disaster. Um, believe me, they could not have been more busy trying to find him a new home. And it was just a really, I, 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 I appreciate the effort to try to solve a problem. I appreciate aggression, but, I remember flying back from Las Vegas when I broke the story that this was happening at like 7 a.m. And I had an 11 a.m. flight out of Las Vegas, and I was using the Internet on the plane to write an analysis about this. And I just kept shaking my head and shaking my head. And somebody in the next seat over said, are you okay?" And I said, I am. But but I'm a reporter and the business I cover just really isn't right now. (laughs) I'm I'm reading this uh, retrospective that uh, Scott Fowler, your colleague at the the Observer, did back in 2018 on Lance Stevenson, and and in this column it says it wasn't that Stevenson acted unprofessionally in Charlotte; his behavior was fine. He just couldn't play worth a darn. And that's again going back to your Dwight Howard comparison. That reminds me a lot. I mean, I fielded a lot of questions about Dwight Howard. What 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 was his reception in the locker room, and and did he? you know, do some of the Dwight things that he was known for in years past. And, and I said, not that not that I know of. It seemed like he acted as professionally as you would imagine. It's just that he wasn't playing very well or, and, and he wasn't integrating with the offense well. Like I said, Doug, the best way I can put this, it was like whatever instrument he was playing, it, he was doing it with a completely different sheet of music than everybody else. He's Rick Bennell, Rick underscore Bennell on Twitter. Follow him there. He's on the news beat right now for the Charlotte Observer. Big thanks to him. Hey, listen, sports have come to a screeching halt. That's not breaking news. Basketball's benched right now. Pitchers are off the mound. But our friends at MyBookie are not going to let you down. Stay sane, stay entertained with access to your favorite games like Blackjack, Roulette, slots, war, and more. It doesn't matter whether you're out on the front lines or quarantined at home. The fun doesn't have to come to an end if you use our friends at MyBookie. If video poker is not your thing, but you still need a little gambling fix, that's okay. They've got you covered with a host of live casino dealers online. That's right. They have professional dealers at their tables live on the site, mybookie.ag 24-7. Your favorite squad sideline because of the pandemic, don't sweat it. MyBookie has partnered with some of the leading esports brands to bring you wagers on virtual action. The Hornets have a virtual uh, 2K team, I believe. So check that out, NBA 2K20. They have a Nintendo Switch team, I believe they do. I think that's (laughs) That's, something they have going on. That's locked on Hornets. Oh, okay, my bad. You can trust the industry leaders in times like these. They're reliable, they're upright, and best of all, they pay fast when you win. Visit mybookie.ag and use promo code LOCKEDON for a 150% bonus on your first casino deposit. That's promo code LOCKEDON to receive a 150% cash bonus on your first deposit, and you can claim those extra funds all the way up to $750. 
Use promo code locked on to activate the offer. That's promo code locked on. You spin, you win, you get paid. All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll end today's show here next on the Locked On Podcast Network. This is Locked On Hornets. Have you ever had that one little bug that's just like, it's not completely out, but it's like kind of dangling in there. And then you try to sniff it back up to go away for good, but it just, it'll, it'll keep popping back. That's what I'm going through right now. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Rick, bringing up the history of Lance Stevenson's time here in Charlotte, the very brief history. Doug, I got to say, I did not have that spidey sense that Rick Bennell did about how badly this was going to go with Lance Stevenson here in Charlotte. I was excited. Now, yes, I watched the Pacers make those runs to the Eastern Conference Finals before eventually getting beat by the Miami Heat, where Lance Stevenson, again, led the league in triple doubles. Like, I was a fan of Lance Stevenson. I was a fan of all the quirks and stuff, too. But I thought it was going to work here in Charlotte. And maybe that was just me being, you know, having the, maybe being blind watching Lance Stevens play, just Lance Stevenson play. I was excited about it. But Rick Bennell certainly wasn't, and he was right. It was god-awful watching him play basketball with the Hornets. And it really didn't work out again until he went back to the Pacers and maybe had a couple of moments with the Lakers on LeBron's team last year. Well, I I think the hidden history portion of that is that it seemed like everyone bought into, except for Rick Bennell and a few others, everyone from the organization to you and I and a lot of other people that we knew that were paying close attention to the team bought into the Lance Stevenson experiment, even though it was sort of a second fiddle to the Gordon Hayward experiment that wasn't. And the hidden part of it, I think, is that everyone bought into it for different reasons, and the the interesting thing is that Steve Clifford, I f- felt like he could make this work. And, and ultimately it didn't. And it didn't because Lance Stevenson, like Dwight Howard and like others they've brought into the organization over the years, they, they fundamentally changed the offense in, in a way, but were not talented enough to carry the load that that came with. And they said, because that's the thing, when you bring in a star of any kind, they are going to change the way you play offense and, and may change the way you play defense as well. And, I mean, that, that's just across the board. Dw- um, Dwight Howard, uh, Kyrie Irving, James Harden, Carmelo Anthony, you bring these guys in and they're going to shift the way you do things. But do they have the talent to, to, to make that work? And Lance Stevenson did not. Oh, clearly did not. And then you start to think about it. You look at where he fell on the totem pole of importance with the Indiana Pacers. And he was an X factor. I think he was the perfect X factor. But Paul George, certainly number one. Roy Hibbert was huge with those teams. And it was the LeBron stopper, right? It was Roy Hibbert who gave LeBron fits and just plugging up the paint. David West was a bruiser down there. And then you get down to maybe, I don't know, you get to fourth or even fifth. George Hill was really important. Certainly his defense running the one spot for the Indiana Pacers. Lance was fourth or fifth to the point where Lance comes to the Charlotte Hornets. He's expected to have, I would think, a much more significant role. And he wasn't able to live up to the hype that at least a few people had for him. Also, I wanted to talk a little bit about that trade. I asked Rick Bennell. Again, Ian Begley reported that there was internal support within the Knicks organization that they trade Julius Randle, Dennis Smith Jr., and a future first. We don't know what first round pick that would have been, but a future first round pick in exchange for Terry Rozier and Malik Monk. Uh, Doug, what are some of your thoughts on seeing that reported by Ian Begley yesterday and what the Hornets should have done or the kind of questions you had surrounding it? 
Uh, my thought is that I'm glad that there wasn't enough internal support in the Hornets organization to make that deal happen because I'm not a huge fan of Julius Randle or Dennis Smith Jr. I was a huge fan of Dennis Smith Jr. coming out of the draft, but he's, you know, I don't, I don't think that either of those players are getting your organization anywhere. And I, I don't know the specifics of those contracts, but I like the idea of Terry Rozier's contract uh, and the and the uh, the limited nature of it, and Malik Monk, as as Rick was pointing out, regardless of whatever happens with him, it's it's either an easy out or a cheap in, and so that's okay with me. You know, just t- thinking about the long term ramifications of both of those players. So I I think you're better off doing. I mean, I look at that Lance Stevenson situation, and I think, man. Would the Hornets have been better off doing nothing? So for so long, we cheered for this organization that really couldn't help themselves. They could not do nothing. They had to do something. And the ripple effect of the Lance Stevenson trade was them having to do something and then something to fix that and then something to fix that. So I'm glad that Mitch Kupchak is at the helm because I think Mitch Kupchak understands that sometimes doing nothing is, is the best strategy. Yeah. And to me, it's all about the future first round pick. What was it? How unprotected was it? You know, the Knicks are dumb. So maybe they made this extremely unprotected. Maybe the Knicks actually did something smart and made it extremely protected. Therefore not making this move worth it. You know, my feelings about Malik Monk and Terry Rozier is somebody that certainly has played beyond expectations this season. I think you would move on from Julius Randle, but even in a different way, we're already backed up with the four spot. I'm not bringing in Julius Randle with this team. And if Dennis Smith Jr. doesn't pan out in Dallas and he doesn't pan out with the New York Knicks, you know, I'm sorry. I'm not giving you a third chance. I don't don't want that contract. I don't want that type of player. I'm not giving you Malik Monk, who was better. I mean, I think clearly, significantly playing better than what Dennis Smith Jr. was. And I'm not going with an offense killer in Julius Randle. Let me just say this. Whatever you think of Terry Rozier, whatever you think of Dennis Smith Jr., whatever you think of that deal, let me tell you this. Terry Rozier, this season, has made Devontae Graham a better player. He has allowed Devontae Graham to develop in the way that Devontae Graham has developed by by giving him the ball, by being unselfish, by finding him for open jump shots, and by, you know, driving and pulling the defense away. That's not, you know, we're not guaranteed that that's what Dennis Smith Jr. could also come in to do. I'm not sure that he's ever shown that in his in, in the short span of his career, making other players better. Oh, so I think just, that would... I'll just say ahead. that. Oh, yeah. I, I think that a lot of people would view it vice versa, though, Doug. I think a lot of people view it as Devontae Graham making Terry Rozier better because Terry has never been the guy that's been moved to the two before. And then Devontae Graham comes in and Terry becomes this catch and shoot player where that's by far the most effective part of his offense. I, I, I think both things can be true. And if you look at Devontae Graham's shooting numbers uh, over the course of this season, when his offense started to leave, it was because he was too over-reliant on the pull-up jump shot, and those numbers went in the tank. It was only when he started being more distributed, too, that he started to see his shooting numbers rise. And the guy that was distributing to him the most, Terry Rozier. Oh, it's a beautiful backcourt. They work so well together. One Just thing saying. that's pretty cool about the Charlotte Hornets. No, I completely agree with you. I think that both of those guys probably did benefit from their role and the acceptance of their role. And I think the players have really done that under James Borrego's tutelage. And I think when you look at James Borrego and what he's done, um, it's been pretty cool to see him react the way and 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 put together some of the strategies with this team as we've seen him in the last two years. And one really cool thing that James Borrego has done, Zach Lowe just put out a piece on ESPN.com earlier today. And he said, James Borrego, 
uh, came up with something pretty cool for the Charlotte Hornets to do during this time in isolation. Borrego picked one playoff series for the team to watch and one game every day or two to break down in video chats and text chains. James Borrego said basketball culture today is so much about watching specific plays. Guys watch their highlights. They watch edits of their own minutes. This is about studying an entire series game by game. What can we learn? What adjustments do you see? And Zach Lowe would also go on to write, Borrego didn't want to uh, use a series that was too recent. He also spent a decade as an assistant with the Spurs, but he was worried about pushing that connection too hard. So he was wary of that. And so Borrego settled on the Denver Nuggets, LA Lakers series, first round series from 2012. That was a seven game series. That was also the last series win of Kobe Bryant's career. And Borrego picked it because of the contrasting styles, the run and gun nuggets against the behemoth Lakers starting Paul Gasol and Andrew Bynum. So pretty cool that James Borrego is finding ways for the players to at least continue um, improving their basketball IQ, watching some of the series and emphasizing the postseason. I think that's a, a, a fascinating, um, a fascinating, I guess, not even workout, just something to do in this time of isolation, Doug. a mental workout, by the way, James Borrego, definitely that teacher, the teacher that somehow finds a way to give you homework when the school shuts down because of some issue and you get an extra few days off. And the teacher's like, no, 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 no. I've got some homework for you. You're going to keep mentally active. He's definitely that teacher. And it's a luxury that he has because it's a young team, right? I mean, if this were a team laden with that, I don't think that they're sending LeBron James and Anthony Davis footage to look at. Now, those two guys are probably looking at footage because they're obsessed with basketball, and that's what makes them great. And hopefully the Hornets are responding in the same way. And yeah, and I don't know if Borrego is doing that to a veteran-laden team as well, but because the time calls for it, I think he is making the right call. And by the way, Borrego might be that teacher. I still think he's also the teacher, though, that allows you to have class outside every once in a while and everybody gets pumped because we get to read a book outside on the grass rather than inside. I think Borrego's that kind of teacher too. I think both things, the good things can come from him. I think you're right. All right. You had something pretty cool, pretty neat. I've got something pretty neat here. And that comes in the form of a new podcast that the Locked On Podcast Network debuted this week. It's called Chad Ford's Big Board. Yes, that's right. It's that Chad Ford. He's been on a two-year hiatus, uh, but he has stayed active, stayed plugged into the scouting scene, and he's back with uh, his knowledge and his friends. In his first episode, he interviewed Mark Stein. His second episode coming up uh, later this week, I believe, is with John Hollinger of the Hollinger and Duncan podcast. I want to play a little clip here, and uh, it's with Chad Ford discussing the effect that all of this is going to have on the NBA draft, but maybe not as big of an effect as we're all making it out to be, at least according to the scouts that have to figure out which players their teams will draft come, well, whenever the draft is. You have scouting staffs who have been out all year scouting these players. You have all the purists in the league that have been telling me for the last 20 years that I've been doing this, that all that other stuff is overrated. The, you know, the workout preps, the combines, the, you know, uh, the only things that matter, the meds and, and the medical is a really big issue, I think, with the draft and how they would get good medical information, because I do think that every team will tell you that that, that is critical. But the rest of it, there's, there's a lot of purists and scouts that say, you know, all that other stuff, the, the tournament, the NCAA tournament, it's, it's all overblown. If you're a good scout, 
and you have a, have a body of work to watch a player play in, you should be able to project this player. And in fact, some of these other things, actually what they do, and, and John Hollinger and I were recently talking about some of the stuff that happens with the Grizzlies, is, is sometimes that stuff can actually throw you off from where you've been all year with a prospect and throw you off in, 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 a, in a bad way. Again, that's Chad Ford from Chad Ford's Big Board. You can subscribe to that podcast. I believe they're doing twice a week. So you get two podcasts every week on the NBA draft. Check that out. Chad Ford's Big Board, wherever you get your podcast. Walker, what did you hear there just in terms of how this might affect the Hornets? I've got a few I've got a few things that I take away from this, but what did you hear there? Well, it's the fact that we just heard from Rick that people put too much importance on individual workouts because it is pretty public. And so there's not a, a whole lot of, you know, <laughs> Intel that's only meant for the team because we can report on it and other people see some of these workouts. So you get that from Rick and then you hear from Chad Ford about how they already have all this information watching so much film on these guys. The scouts have already gone out there and done their work. I think that what the biggest thing that's going to hurt is not having the NCAA tournament. I think that's one of the things that's going to be the biggest um, problems with all of this. It's not the individual workouts. The medical shore, that's going to be big too, as you heard Chad Ford mentioned there. I actually put stock in the NCAA tournament and it was a while ago, Doug. I read this article about there actually are some pretty fair assessments that, okay, he performed well in this tournament that does have a magnitude bigger than the other regular season games they played. And the guys that performed well in March, they actually performed pretty well in the NBA. There was a positive correlation. I think that matters, but all the other stuff, it is probably being blown out of proportion. Well, see, I, I'm going to disagree with you here. I think this actually helps the Hornets that there was uh, not an NCAA tournament because you heard there at the end of the clip, he said that scouts believe that that can actually throw you off from where you've been all year with a prospect and throw you off in a bad way. And so there's, and maybe, maybe it doesn't throw off the scouts. Maybe it throws off other people in the organization that are paying, you know, scouts have been paying attention all year. And then some people within an organization, I bet, uh, are only watching certain aspects, maybe nationally televised aspects of a a player's journey, and that can throw off the the entire strategy. Where that's that's not going to be an issue, you know. And I, and I think one thing we can lean on right now is that so far Mitch Kepchak is hitting on the draft, and he's been out there scouting personally. But I'm sure he has a staff of scouts as well that have treated the draft very well so far. Uh, so I, I think this can only benefit the Hornets, the fact that there was no NCAA tournament to distract from uh, the, the full picture of a prospect. I'll also say this, that I think anyone that has any kind of medical issue could fall significantly in this draft because there will be difficulty getting a full medical picture on some of these players. So if you're looking at the draft, you're looking at your mock drafts, and you see that a guy uh, is projected to the Hornets but has some lingering issues... I would be a little wary at that point. All right, that wraps up this edition of Lockdown Hornets. Now tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Lockdown NBA. Have a great day and we'll see you tomorrow.